This is the Joy of Geek. Welcome to the Joy of Geek podcast. I am Rich Lepore. Kevin Schaefer. And today we are here with a special edition episode. Um, we are going to be talking to a longtime friend of the show, first time guest. His name is Elliot Brady. Um, he is actually a, uh, a budding independent filmmaker at this point. We were actually in a band together back in the day, so me and Elliot go way back. But now he has a film. It's called Frontier, and it is debuting at the Charlotte Film Festival this Saturday um, from, at 4.55. Uh, so that's that's is that your slot, right, Elliot? Yeah, four fifty, I think. Oh, four fifty. Okay, cool. We're glad yeah. we got that corrected. Um, so anyway, it's a fifteen-minute or sixteen-minute, I think, short film, and it's remarkable, and it's also been just a long in the making. I mean, you've been talking about this for years. We've been talking back and forth about just what it takes to make an independent film. So yeah, uh, yeah, right. So on on the one hand, want to learn a little bit a bit about you and how you got into all of this and how you made this film possible. It's it's remarkably polished and it's got special effects and all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, and then also just how much harder this process was than maybe you expected it to be. But first of all, Elliot, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on the show, guys. Absolutely. For Absolutely. Sure. Uh, so, so first of all, why don't you give us a little background about how you got into film? Okay, cool. Well, um, I guess I first got into film. I went to college at UNC. Um, I graduated in 2005. I, um, went to school with, um, uh, a couple guys who who were there basically for film. Um, I was kind of there, you know, as you do in undergrad, sort of floating around, figuring out what you want to do, right? Yeah. Um, and I wound up taking a lot of film classes at UNC. Um, I uh, uh, took a lot of screenwriting classes, primarily in writing classes, and loved it. Um, but you know, you know, I wound up going to law school and and just sort of, um, you know, getting away from it. Um, at that point, uh, I helped out with a lot of student films, especially with our director for this project, who's um, named Chuck Clevin. He's a Charlotte native who um, uh, has kind of been in this business all along. And so I moved back to Wilmington. I guess it was in 2012. Uh, Chuck and Jared, who um, I worked on this project with, had been they had formed a company called AK Media, and they were doing um, commercials, you know, industrial projects. Um, Solid. Just so, so, yeah, so ways to ways to make money making film. Exactly, exactly. And so um, I had moved back to Wilmington, and they contacted me when I moved back here. Um, that's where Jared was living to to basically work on this thing called the 48 hour film project. Um, and it, it was kind of a way to sort of get back into what we had, we had done in college. You know, the 48 hour film project was, um, it, it, it was kind of like a, a film festival type of event where, you, you know, you write, direct, shoot, edit completely, you know, um, uh, get a film done in 48 hours. And, um, that was kind of the challenge of it. Um, I decided to help them out with that. We made a film called Hold Your Breath for the Charlotte Film Pro uh, 48 Hour Film Project. That was the, its inaugural year in Charlotte, and we actually won it. Um, 
and uh, through that, we kind of reconnected with each other and decided, you know, we should get back into narrative filmmaking. That's kind of, you know, what what we had a great time doing right. back in school and um, decided to sort of go for it from there. So we, we did a couple more little projects and um, out of that grew this project, which was Frontier, uh, um, a script that I wrote and um, wound up producing the film and sort of getting it from start to finish. So Exciting. How did you decide uh, who was going to take what role on this project? Well, Chuck is always, you know, Chuck has sort of always been our director. He's a, um, you know, he's what I would call a natural. Um, he's always, you know, um, had such a clear vision of what he wants to do. Um, we had never, you know, and I've always been a writer. You know what I mean? I, mm-hmm. I come from come from that kind of uh, standpoint. You know, I'd never directed a film before, and and Chuck and I, we used to make such a great team in college um, in our creative projects. And, you know, so the roles sort of felt really natural. I, um, uh, you know, I, when we had gone through this experience with Hold Your Breath and and gotten a little taste of uh, success with the film, and I realized how much I really love screenwriting, um, uh, you know, I wrote this script uh, frontier. And it, it was just one of those things where it just sort of kind of poured out of me. And then I, I showed it to Chuck and I said, Hey, you know, let's make this movie. And, uh, he was completely on board. Um, <laughs> despite, right. despite its difficulties in the, you know, I mean, because, um, it, you know, just to be honest with you, this script, it, it, it stars a 10 year old girl. So already we have a child actor as the lead who's going to be, you know, on screen every single second. Yeah. And, and then also, you know, special effects elements. I showed it to him and and, you know, Chuck is fearless. He said, oh, let's make this movie. You know what I mean? And so um, we just sort of assembled our team from there, got together some people we had worked with on other projects, uh, engaged some other people that he had known, some contacts of his in the Charlotte film scene, you know, over the years. And um, we just sort of built out our crew and decided, you know, let's go for it. And we um, we filmed it in North Carolina, literally over a period of about two years, um, uh, finishing up last year. And uh, now it's it's ready to go, and and we're releasing it now. That's that's, hey, awesome. Cool. that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, Elliot, you said uh, that you had this script in mind for a while. Was there anything in particular that uh, inspired it, or? They gave where the Genesis came from. You know, uh, it's funny because I think I think with all, you know, writers, when you talk to them about their projects, it's sort of like, and I'm no different. It's it's something that you can tell has been sort of rattling around in your head for a while, but then when you actually sit down to you know at the computer to to get it down on the page, um it sort of pours out, you know, you don't really know where it comes from. Obviously there's a lot of, uh, influences here. It's a film that stars a 10 year old girl. Um, and I've always been drawn to stories that, um, involve children at their center point. You know, um, some of the major influences, uh, for this film are, uh, stuff like the 400 blows. Um, uh, the work of Guillermo del Toro, uh, especially Kronos, uh, Pan's Labyrinth. Um, those are huge, huge influences. Um, and you know, those things are kind of, 
those were sort of at the forefront of my mind. I think when I wrote this, I had I had seen Pan's Labyrinth for the first time about two years prior, and I was still thinking about it. Which, mm-hmm. if you've seen the movie, you probably know um, it's it's the kind of thing where the images and um, you know the setting just sort of sticks with you. Uh, well, if you've been a fan of the podcast for a while, you know that. I'm a huge Del Toro fanboy, so huge I have a huge Del Toro fanboy. Absolutely, yeah. Front poster in my room right now. So when yeah. you were when you guys when you <laughs> talked about Pan's Labyrinth, I was just like, right on, absolutely. I, um, and can you believe Rich has never seen it? And, still, yeah. still, you you have to come correct, my friend. I know, I know. <laughs> it's 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 seriously at this point, it's it's a liability. Um, yeah, um, it's what it is. Del Toro is probably. You know, it's funny. He's he's probably my my biggest influence when it comes to writing and, and film stuff. Um, you know, I'm writing I'm writing scripts right now where I see his fingerprints all over the damn thing. Well, let, and, me, just, uh, let me just interrupt you real quick. So, and, and when you say that, if we want to bring it to its simplest form, we mean sort of where real life, basic slice of life stuff meets the supernatural and fantasy elements and you know both become larger than the sum of their parts by their by their meeting yeah absolutely i mean i i you know i love fantasy and genre movies i also love um movies that are just about family and real life and um del toro's work has kind of blended those so well you know um chronos is the maybe the you know the greatest vampire movie ever but at the at its core it's about a grandfather and and his granddaughter and that's what i always really loved about it um is to blend that genre fiction with um you know real life and real stuff and that's what we tried to do with this this film um you know it it has some fantasy elements you know, uh, at its core, the the story is a little girl. Um, she has a favorite comic book. Um, it's What's called, it called Frontier. Yeah, <laughs> it's called Frontier. Right, right. And it's it's a Western comic book, which is something that has kind of fallen out of favor. Um, but now, which that is were, an interesting decision that you guys made. When when I saw it, I was like, wow, this is this is different. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, westerns were you know obviously it's a genre that's kind of you know had its um its peaks and valleys, but um, I, something that I used to do when I was into comic books, when I was a kid is I, I loved capes and tights. That was my thing. I loved, uh, you know, a super characters, Green Lantern, uh, Superman. Those were my things, but you know, I would go dig in those back issue bins and you would see all these Western comics from the seventies, early eighties. And, you know, they were on offer for what, you know, five cents, 10 cents. I would pick those up as well. Right. And um, uh, sort of came to fall in love with that. I actually, I was more into Western comics, just these no-name Westerns. You know, a lot of them were one-shots. A lot of them were, you know, just whatever. I would pick up, you know, know, issue three out of a five-issue series of these, you know, sort of limited series back then. Mm -hmm. And I loved them, you know. So I, I was into Western comics before Western films because, you know, when I was coming up, I was born in 83. Um, you know, there was kind of a, a Western renaissance in cinema um, shortly after I was born with things like, um, Tombstone. you know, Dances with Wolves, Tombstone, Unforgiven. Oh. And um, Unforgiven was the first Western movie that I ever saw, uh, which I think came out in 91. What was the one so, with Sharon Stone? I, I think it was 92. 
but ninety two. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just make sure, but I think it was. Yeah. Um. So that was like that was the first Western movie that I ever seen because my parents had it on VHS. Yeah, you know what I mean, right. and I. You know, that's, I, a really, I, that's a really cool intro to that genre. I mean, in, in terms of film, just because oh, it's, it's a flawless. Yeah, movie. <laughs> I mean, it is so good. Um, you know, English Bob, the, the characters are larger than life. And, you know, since then, I've watched some older Westerns and it doesn't you know, it doesn't quite connect with me. But right. after Unforgiven, you know, that was I think Unforgiven won Best Picture since then. I don't think any Western has won Best Picture or even really been considered. Um, what about but, three, 310 to Yuma wasn't in the in the conversation? Maybe. I don't know if 310 to Yuma was. I remember the the next one that I saw was the uh, the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford, right, which is right. also yeah. incredibly good. I but, think you know, the, I think the Coen Brothers True Grit remake may have been a contender. I don't. Right, it didn't right. win, but I think it was nominated. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. But certainly but nothing you know, has risen a lot to the level. Later. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And um, so you know, Western has kind of been one of these, uh, you know classic american genres like noir um but it, but it's you know it's gone in and out of fashion and um I, I always loved it um but you know so you know i, I was reading these i would read these western comics as a kid and i um you know when the story was sort of coming to me and i was i was writing it out uh it was a natural fit because i wanted to write a story about um somebody who was trying to escape um and and go make their own scene and and that's you know that's the main western trope right a stranger comes to town that's that's the yeah. oldest story book and and maybe maybe the best one so hey, hey just to just to uh to, to direct you back a little bit um you were saying that um you know sort of the the genesis of the story and you were talking about obviously the westerns but that it's about and what so people understand what the story is so it's about uh, a girl she's 10 you said yeah, ten year old girl. So um, she's got this beloved comic book that she she reads called Frontier, and um, she's uh, living with her her dad or you know father figure. It, it, you know we left it ambiguous in the story. It doesn't really matter who she's with. It's just that this older male uh, figure that you know she she wants to get away from. She sort of wants to blaze her own trail. He's not exactly attentive. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, exactly. He's you know, less he's than got, attentive. Yeah, he's got his own stuff going on, and and he was, you know, the the characters don't really have names in the film because we're, you know, the film is largely dialogue free. Um, but that was played by Zadie Walker, um, who I know from a, from high school. Absolutely, we went to high school with him. He's a brilliant actor. He's originally from Lumberton. He lived in Durham for a lot of years. He went to Durham Academy where he we went to school, and now he's he's a working actor in, in Brooklyn. Um, and so he plays, uh, you know, the character that we know as Big. And um, uh, Zoe Clark plays the character we know as Little, and they're kind of these foils. He's he's sort of inattentive, and she wants to you know get out and and blaze her own trail. So she takes her tent, she packs up all her stuff, she brings some seeds and some water, and she just you know scoots out in the woods and tries to live there by herself. And the story of the film is kind of what happens over the next couple of days, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, she goes out there. She tries to, um, you know, establish a homestead, but she's a ten-year-old girl, so she doesn't right, know what right. the hell she's doing. Right? right? Not at all. Uh, yeah. Culminating and, in uh, in some in some maybe questionable decisions. No doubt. And then once you know he sort of comes to and realizes what the hell is going on, um, and and, and 
goes to get her, that's sort of where, you know, that's that's sort of the road to the climax of the movie. Right. And um, one thing that we really wanted to accomplish with this film is we knew we wanted to make a short. And, you know, there's, uh, you know, a lot when you get into movies, you don't really get into short film because it's not really a popular format right. in America or the West. And so... You know, every filmmaker starts out making a short, and um, we decided to sort of study the the art form for a while and watch a lot of great shorts. And there are a lot of them that are great out there that are basically, that you know, a see. scene. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot that you'll never see, uh, but you know, some of the best ones are, uh, you know, they're basically a scene. You know, a, a lot of them are two characters in a room. You know, uh, you know, close quarters and that kind of thing. And those movies are great. Um, that can be done really well, but what we really wanted to do, Chuck and I, um, and we discussed this from the beginning, is we wanted to we wanted to tell an entire story, with the beginning, middle, and end, um, you know, that takes place over you know a uh, um, uh, sort of a prolonged time period that wasn't just a single scene, um, and and to do that all in you know our goal was 15 minutes, the you know the film 60 minutes, we you know, that was our, that was our intention. And, um, I think we succeeded in, um, uh, you know, we, <laughs> it was complicated, <laughs> you, you know, know that's but... the thing too, right? So Kevin, uh, you and I both saw the film. We were lucky enough to see it, uh, ahead of right. the uh, premiere. Um, first of all, what were your thoughts, especially cause I'd heard a little bit behind the scenes about, you know, the making of this movie and, you know, the monster, which I want, I want Elliot to tell us about, you know, the monster and the trials and tribulations with that and the false starts and all of those things. But just yeah. what was your take seeing this, knowing that this is, you know, friend of the show, Elliot and his like independent film, that's going to go to a film festival, not knowing much else. I mean, being like uh, Elliot said, a big Del Toro fan. And then um, I also have a background with Westerns as well. I was immediately drawn to those elements, but Beyond that, I was impressed by just, A, the character elements here, that it was a very strong character study without much dialogue. And then, mm-hmm. the, really, the monster really did blow me away. Cause, Isn't that I mean, crazy? I, I've been in the film scene for a while. I mean, I made, you know, I made some shorts in, high, in college and then has seen a fair number of short films. But um, I've only seen a handful with, like, a budget like that that can do really crazy special effects. So... That's one of the things I really wanted to talk about here was, you know, specifically the design of that monster and, you know, how much work went into that and the budget you, know, you had, all of that. Ooh. Those are the details I would love to hear. Awesome. Yeah, I, I will definitely talk about that. So, um, you know, foolishly or, you know, or not, we or bravely. We, <laughs> bravely. That's that's a great way of putting it. Thank you. <laughs> um, we we had uh you know, the climax of the film involves basically, you know, her caretaker coming to see her, you know, essentially, um, you know, I mean, this is kind of spoiler alert, but I, I think it, you know, it, it, it informs the rest of it. But she, you know, she, she's out in the woods for a couple of days. She starts eating some berries that she shouldn't be eating. She starts drinking <laughs> some dirty water. You know I, mean? I love the dirty and water scene. She goes yeah. back for more, man. I know, isn't it heartbreaking? You it just is. want to scream at her, no, don't what do it. What are you it. doing? It's so yellow. <laughs> I know, she's drinking this water out of this, like, horrible lagoon. But anyway, so... You no, know, oh, sorry, quick interruption, but that that is a perfect nod to Pan's Labyrinth. I don't know if that was intentional, yeah. but when um, she's, when the girl uh, intentional uh, defies, like, the Fawn's request and is, um, she's in the... 
what does he eat from? Um, uh, I'm trying to think. The you know what I'm talking about though. The like she uh, yeah, so during she, like the second challenge, I think. Yeah, so you know her whole plan for food, right? Is four she cans. takes like she takes like four or five cans of Chef Boyardee spaghetti, solid, uh, which is something that I grew up on and just had to include. Uh, and then when that sort of starts to run out, she's like, well, let's, you know, let's go hunting for some food in the wild. This is what I'm here for. Right. Right. And she starts eating these weird red berries and, uh, drinking water out of a dirty lagoon and, and that kind of thing. And then, you know, her caretaker is coming to get her. And then when, when they have their confrontation, she sort of imagines him as this, this monster that has been in her comic book. And so her reality kind of blends together with with the reality that she's been, you know, understanding from from the comic. Right. And um, so that was a, a huge moment for us because, you know, we we wanted to tell a story of somebody who was um, trying, you know, a little girl, a naive little girl trying to, you know, um, go out there on her own. You know, she tries to grow food in a matter of three days. Right. Which anyone who who's ever grown anything from seed knows that that's not really no. how it works no um even even beyond that like the way she plants them like she just i mean it's no need to belabor the point she has no idea what she's yeah, doing exactly exactly so uh, you know by the time we get to this uh confrontation you know like we wanted to tell a story um primarily you know man versus nature this little girl like what what would it be like if you were a little kid camping out in the woods and you were really on your own uh, you know, that's something that I fantasized about when I was a kid is is just going out there and sort of being independent and, and trying to homestead. And, um, it, you know, we, we we tried to visit in this movie was, you know, exactly, um, uh, you know, how that could actually how that de- how would how that would naturally derail. Yeah. And, and so she, you know, encounters this, um, you know, her caretaker big as this, um, you know, uh, monster who's who's hunting her. And um, and that's sort of how she sees him, you know, figurative, figuratively and literally at that point um, in her journey. And so, you know, we needed a monster, <laughs> yeah. uh, which, you know, when I mean, we had made some short films in the past and. Of course, they were self-funded and, you know, um, low-budget affairs and that kind of thing. And I was talking to Chuck, and he's like, well, what do you want to do about this? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, we were kind of looking we at each other like... We got to that like, part, you know. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, let's, it, let's uh, this, you know, script page 13 went well. Okay, let's yeah, turn the page. We were convinced that we there. could... Yeah, we were convinced that we could film the little girl in the woods and all the other stuff. But then when it came to the monster, we we had a real um, issue. So we actually went through a lot of iterations of it. Um, the first person that we talked with uh, is a guy named Tony Rosen, who's local here to the Wilmington area. area. He um, worked on the Conjuring films. Um, he was actually the person who designed the doll Annabelle. Wow. And, wow. Um, yeah, he manufactured the Annabelle dolls. Um, and so we were working with him because he was also, um, he, he had worked on a feature film called pieces of talent with our first cinematographer, Joe Stoffer. And so he came recommended, we worked with him. Um, it actually wound up not working out. Um, and you know, we, when we got the final product, it just, you know, um, it just wasn't right. Uh, Which is a really hard – I got to say, if I were you and I was hanging out with the dude 
who made Annabelle. It would take a lot of creative chutzpah to be like, you know, like, thanks, but no thanks, like, mad respect, but, but like, it just isn't our vision. Right, and, and that was, yeah, um, believe me, it was, it was not the easiest conversation in the world. Um, but we, you know, we got to that point, at that point, we were already, um, you know, months into filming, it just wasn't right. We decided, you know, I talked to uh, Dave Proctor, who is my producing partner on this, and and Chuck. We were kind of the, um, you know, basically we had a four-headed monster that made this film. It was Jared Ainge, our technical director, uh, myself, Chuck Clevin, our director, and um, Dave Proctor, our uh, executive producer. We all got together. We decided, um, you know what, we need we need to sort of recenter and rethink what we're going to do here because this is such a crucial moment in the in the movie. Um, you know, we need to get this right. The whole idea of this thing is, you know, you go along for ten minutes and you think it's just a story of a girl living in the woods, but then this sort of hits you in the face at the end. And we needed that moment to be right. It couldn't be cheesy, um, it, you know, and. Um, or at least that's not what we wanted. No, no. And um, we, we, you know, we we needed it to sort of blend with what we had done before. So we regrouped. We um, uh, decided to work with somebody else, uh, a company called uh, Dead World Effects, who are based in Brooklyn. And we went up there. Um, we talked to them, you know, and we had a very limited budget, especially after everything we had gone through with the first monster, which is, you know, this is this monster is a huge part of the non-existent budget that we started right. with. Right. right. So, you know, we said, look, you know, this is, this is what we can pay you. Um, we, we liked his work. We had, you know, we had checked it out. We had been to his studio, you know, and this guy is, is a, uh, he's an absolute cre- creature of passion. You know, he lives for monster movies and this kind of thing. And this is all he does is he makes monsters for, um, for film. That guy rules. And, yeah, he he's amazing. He's this. I mean, <clears throat> uh, he won't he won't refer to himself as anything other than Mister Dead, right? Um, so he's a and, huge character. Absolutely, he he is a character, and he makes characters. He he at that time was working with a brilliant artist named Matthew H. James, who did a lot of the actual creature manufacturing for us, and was a huge point of contact for us. So we told him what we wanted. We told him that what we wanted was a mashup of animals that this character would have seen in real life, you know, pig, horse, bear, um, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And we sort Definitely of wanted Definitely antlers. Yeah, antlers. It's got, it, it, you know, deer antlers. We wanted a mashup of all this stuff that she would have seen. He got it right away. Um, you know, we only had a certain amount of money to pay him, and, and he went above and beyond and, and made us this amazing creature suit. Um, and then Matthew H. James, who, you know, had done a lot of the work on the suit, um, uh, as his protege, he came down to, uh, Wilmington area and we filmed, uh, all those scenes in a period of about four days, um, out in Columbus County, North Carolina. Who's and, in the and, suit? Um, Who's in the suit? <laughs> Matthew H. James was in the suit. That we had, a- we had actually done a lot of rehearsals with Zadie, our actor who played big in the suit and. And um, it just made more sense for the guy who created it to do it. Yeah. At the end of the day. Yeah. Um, that was that was kind of a decision that was made on the fly, but you know, um, it, you know, it wound up being uh, being a good decision. Right. Yeah. Right. So, 
so we had that happen and you know so this is this is the second iteration of the you know the monster in the film and um we were extremely happy with the end result and and you know we had to break for three months um while while this next uh monster got created which uh you know it's it's one thing to take a a a little break in filming but when you have a 10 year old lead actress um you know, the clock is ticking Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when you break in production. So it had to be done fast. It had to be done right. And they, they definitely came through. Um, so we resumed filming um, the next uh, March and we filmed the, the last scenes that we had to do and um, everything came together perfectly, including snow. It actually snowed um, while we were filming. And uh, that was unexpected. It was March. We decided to just write it in the script. Well, she's hallucinating um, the snow, clearly, right? She is, yeah. And and I think it sort of uh, drove um, drove the climax of the film home. Uh, it did. You know, it was it was a uh, it was one of those serendipitous things that um, you know it's it's something that you couldn't have anticipated, but it, it all worked out in the end. So um, yeah, I'm I'm very glad that we decided to sort of you know step back, take a breath, and and recalibrate ourselves because. Um, I don't think the movie could have succeeded if we had done that. That's, that's really cool. That that really is. Well, I will say, so, I will go ahead, Kev. Oh, I was gonna say. So, uh, how long total was it from? I uh, from. I, I mean, I know you had the idea for a while, but from the start of filming and production to post production editing, how long was that whole process? Okay, so I'll take you through the whole timeline. I actually wrote the script really quickly. This was the fall of 2015. Um, I had sat down to write it in, I think it was August or September. Um, the The script is, you know, it's about 15, 20 pages long. The script sort of poured out of me over a period of a week. So this was fall of 2015. Um we decided we were going to start filming in summer of 2016. We did film in 2016. Um, we filmed a lot of our scenes then. Uh, we broke and then picked back up in the fall of 2016. And then we wound up having, you know, our situation with the monster and we broke and then again. And then we picked back up filming in March of 2017. Um, we filmed march of 2017 and the end of summer 2016 so we basically had three production periods and then we we pretty much worked on post-production for a year um which you know is not an ideal situation i would have loved to have banged it all out you know over a short period of time what what uh, is that like for people that don't know like i understand post-processing and getting the colors right special effects i saw some snow additions that you added in the music has to be right the sound effects have to be right but like like that's my just sort of base view of it what does it really involve well um for us i mean for us it was a protracted process because we had a lot of deaths um you know going on in our personal lives i had three friends die over that period i saw the um, the, the, the thank yous at the or the the dedications at the end yeah young young friends you yeah. know what i mean yeah. um family members as well chuck's uncle um and you know my grandfather and stuff like that so a lot of that was sort of just personal time for us and but the post production process was long on this one because um Really what it is is so, you know, you film you film so many days, and we filmed a lot of days on this. I think we had a total of maybe 
I think it was 18 production days. So we had 18 days of, of actual filming. And, you know, we're filming on digital, um, uh, the digital red camera format. Isn't so, that really expensive, no? To rent it that is stuff? Incredibly, <laughs> it is incredibly expensive, yes. Um, yeah, absolutely, it is wow. expensive. And, and so, you know, but uh, it's, it's, you know, digital versus film is a perennial debate, sure, you know, in sure. the film community. Um, film has never been an option for me because Just film is Dunkirk. incredibly expensive. Just ask Yeah, Dunkirk. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, fil- film is incredibly expensive, and it just was never an option for us. So we right. we shot on digital, which which is what we've always done. And one of the benefits and sort of secret curses of digital is that, you know, you can you can let the camera run all day. You know what I mean? Right. You can get right. a million takes, and it's it's you know, and it, it, all it's costing you is really your time. And your so camera we had rental, t- if you if you go extra days, right? But for yeah. that set amount of time. Yeah, you don't you don't get only a certain number of setups and shots. You can have as many. No as doubt. You want. Yeah, no doubt. And so you know, we filmed. We we had a lot of footage to get through. You know, um, when you're working with a child actor, um, a young actor, you know, it, it it's you get a you know we have we had a lot of material that we needed to piece together to make it authentic. Um, you know, and and Zoe Clark, who was our lead actor, she's a professional. But um, and and she's been doing this a long time. But you know, when you have a film that's that's really you know just her out in the world, you know her and the world have to be just right. So you're piecing together all of these bits of performances um, to get just the right thing. So the first step was to sort through this mountain of footage we had and um, narrow it down to you know the shots that we wanted and 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 the shots we wanted to sell. What uh, the one of the key characters we uh, you know I, I like to say with this film we have three characters it's you know zadie's character who is the, the dad figure uh zoe's character which is the girl the lead who's you know taking us through this whole thing and then our third our third major character was the setting you know we we really wanted to um feature southeastern north carolina um i've been living here since 2012 it's a beautiful place uh we just went through hurricane florence it's it's one of these places where you know you are just awestruck by nature um, when you when you walk around and look at it. You know, one of my favorite things to do is go down to the beach and just stare at the ocean. One of the other things that I love about this area is you know you turn around and you have uh, you know airbrush t-shirt parlors, you know packs of cigarettes on the floor everywhere, and this grimy, dirty, you know ultimately beautiful, um, uh, you know. Uh, uh, American South, and we we wanted to we wanted to film and feature the setting. So we had a lot of amazing locations, and you know, so so a big part of it was going through all this footage and seeing like what do we want to feature, what do we want to show, because we got a ton of amazing shots. And so that was the first step is going combing through this mountain of footage, um, you know, narrowing it down to what we wanted to feature. And then, uh, of course, you know, really at the end of the day, the post-production team was myself, uh, Jared Ainge, and Chuck Clevin. So this is three people who all have full-time jobs, by the way. Right. You know, who uh, you know, we had to learn a lot of a lot of things um, in order to do this. We couldn't pay a professional colorist. We didn't have the money. We couldn't pay a professional editor. Um, so we had to learn how to do these things and do them. Uh, as we went along. So, um, you know, the first step was 
was condensing our footage, making sure we knew we wanted a feature. The second step was uh, color correcting it, which is a, a incredibly painstaking, meticulous process to make sure that your shots match each other, to make sure oh, that you know God. the shots look. Um, it be yeah, because we had three production periods over a period of about a year and a half, oh, right? God, man. So we had to match skin tones, we had to match sky tones, we had to make sure that everything blended together so it didn't blatantly look like, you know, we had we had broken up you know, for, for three months, because that's what we did in reality. But, you know, the story takes place over two, three consecutive days. Right. I just can't believe that. (laughs) Yeah. So that was, that was a big part of the process. And that took a very very long time. Um, we also had to, uh, uh, you know, make sure that the shots with the monster were right and, and everything like that. And then also sound is a huge part of it. So we had, we had a lot of, um, we sort of passed around the sound duty when we were in production, um, simply because we couldn't afford a dedicated sound person, um, which is always a bad idea. And I would recommend to any filmmakers out there, do not do what we did, mm-hmm. which was basically sort of handle sound ourselves while we're also worried about everything else. But for better or for worse, that's what we had to do. Um, so we had to make sure that the sound was consistent. Um, we had to source a lot of the sounds that we couldn't record on the day. So, you know, we had to dig into the internet and sound banks and oh all kinds of stuff to find, you know, the background noises that we needed, the sound effects that we needed. We had to record footsteps. We had to record doors opening and closing. Um, uh, and, and, you know, everything from the scrape of the hand, that sound that you make when you open a can of food, you know, we, we had to do that in post. Um, so, you know, that was a huge part of it. Um, we've had a lot, we had a lot of help from Charlotte star room and Levin Chasky who works with Chuck, um, down in Charlotte and, <clears throat> you know, but we also had to learn that process as well as we right. went along. So I remember color correction huge... and sound were something you were talking about as we talked over and over and over again to the point where I was just like, really still color correction? Really? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah I was but... right there with you. I was just like, can we be done with this please? <laughs> but, um, yeah. It, and, and, you know, if you, if you're doing it right, um, it just takes some time. You know, I, I make this analogy like, um, you know, we have the benefit of the internet now. Um, we couldn't Huge have made this benefit. Huge. We benefit. Couldn't have, yeah. We couldn't have made this film without the internet and it's borrowed expertise. But you know, if somebody gave you the keys to a professional woodworking facility, right. And uh, beautiful raw materials and all the tools that you needed. Okay. Right. Um, and they said, make me a canoe. <clears throat> like you could probably do it, right? It would just take you a long time. Yeah. Because you would point. have to, you know, you would have to watch all the YouTube videos about how to make <laughs> the canoe and, and what to do with the wood and how to use the tools and all this stuff. And and that's essentially the situation that we were in. You know what I mean? We we had to do that um, with basically very limited experience prior to that. Um, you know, I mean, Chuck's experience was at that point primarily industrial and, and commercial projects. <clears throat> he had done some narrative projects, but they weren't really on this scale yet. And so um, we were taking it to another level. Um, you know, all of us were. And so it, it just took a long time to get the sound right and and, right. and the color right. Once we once we did that, um, you know, we had to do re-edits and get everything uh, put back together and then you know, once you actually have a working cut, then an entirely new phase starts where you, you know, go back over it and go back over it, find out pieces that you missed and, 
and all this stuff. And we were kind of doing it in chunks um, as we could, um, you know, working around our full-time jobs. When you gave us, um, or me, I should say, uh, a copy of the film about three weeks ago, um, and then we got a copy for Kevin more recently, they were different versions in some very small ways you had said. And I think it might give us a really good insight into the kind of stuff that gets done. Like, what did you change in the last three weeks? Like what, or, or if you can give me a sense of that, you said it was some small technical things. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, during the climax of the film, it starts to snow. So, um, and the snow that we, uh, that we incorporated was part of it was natural snow because it actually snowed when we were filming. And that's when we decided we were going to incorporate the snow into the film. Right. Um, but we also had, you know, we had to, uh, source special effects snow, you know, basically an overlay that goes over, um, what you had filmed <clears throat> and that has to be right. You know, everything has to be cut with every scene, um, so that you, you know, you don't realize it's an overlay. So that was a huge part of it. Um, it was getting the snow, right. Uh, we had made tweaks to the credits, you know, just based on, um, uh, all kinds of stuff, yeah, yeah, yeah. names, yeah, you know, stuff whatever. Happening, whatever it might be. Right, right, right. Yeah. So that's the kind of um, stuff you're talking about though. Little stuff like that. Last yeah, sound, sound edits, you know, is this sound effect too loud is, you know, and, you know, sound mixing, that's a huge part of it. Once you actually have all the sounds together, you have to mix them all. And if you're sourcing them from a bunch of different places, they all have to mix together. And so sound mixing was a huge part of that as well. So really the the final tweaks was, you know, getting the snow right, getting the, you know, little visual effects tweaks right. Um, the credits, of course, and then the sound mixing. That was a huge part of it. Um, you know, audiences will forgive, uh, you know, kind of haphazard or bad images. Um, but sound is such a huge part of your immersion in a film. And we we knew that we had to get that right from the get-go. We knew that we were doing sound basically unprofessionally, Um you know, ourselves. And so we spent a lot of time learning how to do that and, and executing that to the best of our ability. So the sound mixing was right. a, a huge part of this. Awesome. Uh, Kevin, you got anything? No, that's really, I mean, it's fascinating to hear that kind of stuff. Cause like I said, I mean, I, you know, I made some shorts in college, but I mean, they're like YouTube videos by comparison here. So yeah. it's fascinating. Some stuff too, yeah. the pro- right. Right. And so I know and what you're saying. It's like, it's like, you know, I, I hear little parts of this that sound familiar. Sure, sure. Absolutely, yeah. But and did you, I'm curious, like, did you ever consider crowdfunding or something, or were you always just, you know, you had the budget <clears throat> stuck to it? Um, I, I, just because I know that, you know, as a comic creator, I know crowdfunding is very popular and in the film world, so was that ever something you considered? Oh, I, absolutely, Kevin, I'm glad you asked, because we did do a crowdfunding campaign. Okay, okay. Um, we we kickstarted about four four thousand uh, dollars for this movie, which is uh, something that was an, an absolute necessity when when we had sort of ground to a halt with our first special effects uh, team and we needed to go in a different direction. We were sort of left holding the bag, you know what I mean? Right. We we had set aside a certain amount of money that we had saved, you know, money from grandma, credit cards, that kind of thing. You know what you make an independent film on these days. And then when we sort of hit these snags, we realized, well, this is not only going to take some time, but it's going to take more money. Um, we did a crowdfunding campaign on Kickstarter. It was it was successful, and and part of the making, you know, part of the making of process of this film was learning also how to do a Kickstarter campaign, right. which Huge I had never thing. done before. Huge and thing. it's 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 a 
discipline, you know, in and of itself, you know, there, there is so much to learn with crowdfunding. Um, we were very fortunate that we, we met our goal, um, in time. And so we kickstarted about $4,000 for this movie that primarily funded sort of our second phase of our special effects. And, um, our Kickstarter backers, like this movie would not have been made without it, without them, you know? Um, and so thanked in the film and, you know, we gave out, um, uh, you know, we, we sort of were situated where we could give out, uh, some good rewards. I thought, you know, we had, um, our comic book prop, which is, you know, our main character's beloved comic book. We printed up a bunch of copies of that. Um, you know, we gave away props from the film. We, um, we made posters up and, you know, we, uh, we included some of our bigger backers in, in our credits as producers because that's, that's what they wound up being, you know what I mean? Right. And so, um, it, it, it was a, a huge, uh, very, very key component in this entire well, process. There's one other thing that I want to bring up real quick, and I hope I'm not um, breaking any uh, trust saying this, but, um, there was a point when things got pretty dark. Um, and you know, you were, I mean, we see the movie now and it's, it's, I mean, yeah. ha- whether you love it or, or not, it's, it's a, it's a marvel. I mean, it is just, uh, there, there, it's, it's amazing that you got this thing done and this, and the, the budget and the people involved, it's a compelling story. It's riveting. It's just really, really impressive, Elliot. But I know that there Thank were you. times, you're welcome, but there were times when you were like, do I even like my movie anymore? Right. Yeah. And that's yeah. tough. What is that like? That doubt? Oh, it's hard. You know, I mean, um, with filmmaking, filmmaking is, uh, it's an essentially collaborative medium, right? Um, so, you know, you have to assemble a team, you know, making a film is not like painting a picture on canvas or, you know, writing a novel even because you have to get a bunch of people together and, and go to war. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's what you have to do. And, and we had gotten to a process, you know, a point in the process where we had had setback after setback, you know, deaths in the family, um, uh, you know, special effects debacles, uh, locations falling through, um, having to replace crew members and all this stuff. And, you know, when when all that bad stuff is happening as the writer, I was looking at my script and and thinking like, well, well, why am I even doing this? This sucks. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I mean, like the let, famous you know, like, existential writer's crisis, right? Absolutely. <laughs> like you know, I'm I'm 65 percent of the way through this thing, and and I'm sick of it. You know what yeah. I mean? It's yeah. just like I just you know there were definitely parts where I wanted to chuck it uh, away. I'm and, so glad and you didn't, and I'm sure you uh, are too, right? Absolutely, and and that's you know that's where the the collaborative filmmaking process, you know, it, it's a difficulty, but it's also a, a source of like real strength. You know, you, you look to the other people who put in so much time and so much effort into this. And, um, you know, we had come so far that we knew we needed to get it across the finish line. And so, um, you know, you, the great thing about filmmaking is, you know, no one person does it. Like I think auteur directors do exist, but, they definitely do not do it alone. You know what I mean? They're they're right. leaning on people the entire way through. And that's what we did. We all leaned on each other and were strong for, you know, when we needed to be for everyone else who wanted to give up. I certainly wanted to give up. I know Chuck wanted to chuck it in um, <laughs> right, right. And, and, and be done with it at certain points. And, and everyone did. Um, you know, some people worked on this movie for one day. Some people worked on this movie the entire time. 
And um, for for the the sort of core creatives who were determined to see it from the beginning and the end, it was a long, long process. And um, you know, it was just it was just determination and 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 unwillingness to give up on what we had what we had already committed to to get it done. And so, yeah, uh, there were you know there were there were points in the process where I just I just wanted to move on to the next thing or or whatever you know yeah. and um and it, it you know it was difficult but uh that's one of the great things about film is you have all these other people there who are responsible for you and responsible for um you know the art at the end of the day and it you know it it, it was a group effort it really was sure sure well and on that note of you know um wanting to move to the next thing what is the next thing for you in your creative process do you have any projects in mind yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I'm, I'm always writing. So I've got, um, some feature scripts, uh, that I'm working on. Um, you know, not really necessarily stuff that I'm intending to produce. Um, sure. I am working on, uh, you know, we want to do another short next. Um, after this experience with frontier, we want to do something that's a little bit more scaled down a little bit simpler. Yeah. Um, no so yeah, I have, uh, or at least not <laughs> to that level. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so I'm working on a script right now about um, aliens, actually, if you can believe it. So um, all right, it, it's essentially about um, uh, you know you know the gray aliens that that visit us and you know this this myth of the little gray men and the flying saucers. Um, it's really a, an attempt to sort of explain that phenomena. And um, the basic premise of the movie is that um, the aliens are actually from Earth. Um, you know, they're not extraterrestrials, but they are terrestrials. They're a, a, another species in the Homo genus who, uh, you know, have lived in the ocean all this time. And the premise of the movie is basically the Coast Guard, which is sort of the forgotten and, and you know, arguably lamest uh, branch of our armed <laughs> services. <laughs> Their actual secret mission is to monitor these people and, uh, you know, this civilization and to make sure that we don't encroach on each other. That's and so that's smart. sort of the smart. That's sort of the premise of the of the next short that we're going to do. We're going to do that um, and hopefully film it, you know, quickly, something that we can get out a lot faster than we did Frontier, you know, less moving parts, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So that's in the works. Um Chuck has a, a great script called Masqua Man that we're we're thinking about developing, which is kind of another, you know, monster movie type of thing. And so, yeah, we got some things in the pipeline. You know, we, we Chuck is a writer as well. Um, and we're, you know, working on our stuff and and hopefully we'll produce something, uh, produce something again soon together. Right. So. so we're Very just cool. about out of time. Um, but. Before then, um, can you? I, I sort of told everybody at the beginning where they could see your your film. Um, can you sort of pitch the Charlotte Film Festival one more time as we go out, and yeah. also and also talk about what the life of the film will be like after the film festival if people don't get to go? Because I'm sure people will listen to this way after the fact and want to see it as well. Absolutely. And where people can find you online as well. Yeah, no doubt. Okay, so we're we're premiering at the Charlotte Film Festival, which is actually happening this upcoming weekend, the last weekend in September. Um, it runs Wednesday through Sunday. We're playing on Saturday afternoon at 4.50. Um, the whole thing is taking place at the Ayersley Grand Cinemas um, in Uptown Charlotte. Uh, we're in a great shorts block with a bunch of other amazing movies. Uh, we're playing right before um, uh, a brilliant feature film called Thunder Road from Jim Cummings, who... 
we actually thank in the film because he was a huge, huge inspiration to getting this done. Um, I actually found him on Reddit and uh, we were both making our movies at the same time and he was a big, big help to me. Um, so we're, it, it's a great program. Uh, charlottefilmfestival.org is the website. You can learn everything you need to learn there, uh, buy tickets. Everything's happening at the Ersley Grand in Uptown. Um, yeah, September 29th, uh, Saturday, we're playing at 4.50. And um, after that, you know, we're going to do a festival run. Um, it, it'll probably last, you know, up till next year. We don't know exactly where we're playing yet, but I'm sure it'll be um, – a lot of other places. And then once that's over, we're going to release our film to the public on Vimeo. Um, and yeah, you can find us at facebook.com slash frontier short. Um, that's our main social media hub and website for the film. And you can find our Instagram links and, uh, everything there. Awesome. Very cool. Awesome. Well, I, I'm sure I speak for you as well, Kevin. Uh, when, when we invite you, Elliot, we would love to have you come on for a regular episode sometime and sort of hear the other side and uh, have you uh, have you geek out with us about some of the stuff we usually normally talk about. I would love that, man. We'd be more than happy. Sweet, awesome. yeah. That'd be great. Well, good luck, Elliot. Good luck with this uh, this huge milestone. That's a huge accomplishment, especially the, the, the festival and all of that. I'm, I'm, I'm just really impressed, and, and that's awesome. And, uh, and the movie itself is excellent. So anybody listening to this, whether you get to go to that festival, another festival, or have to wait for Vimeo, definitely check out Frontier. It is really cool. Thank you, fellas. Awesome. And also, oh, yeah, the next time you're on, you'll have to tell crazy stories about Rich and the band uh, back in the day. <laughs> I don't know if those, uh, if those. We may have to turn the explicit tag on the uh, on the, uh, the uh, what do you call it, the iTunes uh, feed, right? How much time do you have? I mean, we. <laughs> we'll be an entire episode just to that. Ample yeah. storage, uh, man. Ample storage. Ample storage. Misty looks good. It's, respect. Yeah, much, much respect. Well said. On that note, I am Rich Lapore. Kevin Javer. And we'll see you all soon. Bye bye. Take, Take care. Bye bye.